It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. You're listening to Carrie Lutz's Financial Survival Network, where you get valuable information you just can't find anywhere else. To thrive in today's trying times, you need the Financial Survival Network, now more than ever. Go to FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com and get your free newsletter and gift. Financial Survival Network, now more than ever. Welcome. You are listening to Watching the Financial Survival Network. I'm Carrie Lutz. Well, we're already in the second half of January 2023. What is coming down the pike? Are we going to have more decentralized finance or... Is the system going to reclaim its power or maybe it never lost it in the first place? Well, Matt Lysing is with us. Matt, former reporter for Bloomberg and uh, now has a site called Decential, which, uh, as the headline says, is committed to telling the stories of founders, builders, visionaries who are creating new decentralized economy and Internet experience. Well, Matt, it's great to have you on the show. So I guess we should really define the decentralized economy as well as anybody can before we kind of get into our discussion about it. Yeah, sure. And thanks for having me on, Carrie. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Sure. Um, the, the, in a nutshell, decentralized finance is where there's not a middleman in, in, um, in between um, people in a transaction. So a, a great middleman is, say, the New York Stock Exchange. Um, you know, all the orders come into the stock exchange. They have a central limit order book. They match up. Uh, they have a matching engine, and they they match orders from buyers and sellers. Um, in a decentralized version of that, you can go onto um, decentralized exchanges like Uniswap, and um, you are dealing uh, directly with another person on the other end of your trade. So there's a something called a smart contract. It's a piece of code that is. Um, working on top of a blockchain that matches buyers and sellers directly. Um, and then they, they transact. So, um, there's no, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot faster, uh, and it tends to be, um, 
but cheaper because there's not a middleman kind of taking a cut out of every transaction. So you can apply that sort of um, to lots of different areas of finance where um, in a decentralized version of a market, you're typically not, um, th there isn't uh, some sort of middleman involved. All right. So basically we cut the middleman out. Uh, if you go into a store and you buy something with a credit card, uh, there's a couple of middlemen actually. There's the uh, the network, MasterCard, Visa, American Express. They each have their own network, right? And then we have uh, the banks who ultimately advance, create the money that goes to pay the merchant. So I've been hearing about for years that, uh, that uh, blockchain will be able to eventually streamline that and cut 3.5% or 3% of the cost of doing business for most businesses out of the uh, out of the cost structure, are we getting closer to that? Well, um, if you find a merchant that's willing to to accept Bitcoin or Ether or another um, well known cryptocurrency, then yes, um, because you're paying directly with your wallet, um, and the merchant is receiving money directly into his wallet or uh, her wallet. So there is no there's no one taking a cut of that um and so yes um in that instance there would be fewer fees that are involved in a transaction of course the issue is um how many merchants out there are accepting you know cryptocurrency right now yeah. um because there are you know if you're managing um part of your you know uh part of your treasury or whatever you want to call it as a, you know part of your cash flow i guess as a merchant you know, you don't want to have a lot of your um, revenue sitting in a cryptocurrency that could drop in value, you know, throughout the day. So you would need to be, you know, either accepting something like a stable coin, um, which is a cryptocurrency that is not supposed to move. It's supposed to be pegged to, say, the U.S. dollar. Um, or you would need to, if you're accepting, say, Bitcoin, you would need to be probably... Um, accepting that Bitcoin, but then immediately um, transacting and getting it into um, some kind of either fiat or into a stable coin so that the value um, or the volatility is managed. Right. So uh, there are a few companies that do it, like overstock.com. Um, I've seen a few companies that will take Bitcoin or Ether, one of them. Um, but basically, adoption has has been slow. But one area that was going really well. I don't know what they're doing now, but in China, you would have people um, basically getting paid by foreign countries and then they'd have to convert to Yuan or Renminbi, I guess Yuan, and this would cost them a couple percent, especially if they were in Hong Kong, whatever. And then uh, through, through blockchain, they could basically move their earnings if they were Australian working in China, they're getting paid, they could just move their earnings offshore or any number of ways to get rid of the currency conversion premium. That's generally two to 4%. I mean, some some uh, credit cards say it's free, but then when you look at the exchange rate, you get, you know, PayPal says it's free, except that when you look at it, you're paying two and a half percent more to convert your currency than is actually on the uh, the actual rate of exchange. Yeah, and as someone um, in my new company who, you know, I've got employees all over the world. I've got employees in Australia, um, Hong Kong, Singapore, Dubai, London. 
and some of them are asking for crypto um, for that reason, you know, because we're, you know, we're sending bank wires all around the world to pay them, but, you know, it is a lot cheaper um, and, uh, you know, maybe even faster to use crypto because, you know, you can send a stable coin to someone's wallet in a few seconds on Ethereum, whereas, you know, bank wires and transfers can take days and they, there right. can be mistakes that are made. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, that's a huge, what I was going to say when you brought up cross-border payments is a huge um, application of, of crypto that is, um, is, I think, very interesting to a lot of um, major companies and banks because the correspondent banking system right now is, you know, it's cumbersome. Uh, it takes time. Uh, I've, I remember hearing a few years ago, I'm not sure if this is still the case, but if you want to get money into Africa, there's like two banks that you can use and, right. and that's, that's it. I think it's like standard chartered and, and another that I can't remember. Um, but don't quote me on that, but there are bottlenecks, you know? And so that's what crypto, um, opens up is this, it's a global payments network that, um, is, um, you know, nobody can interfere with it. Uh, can't be stopped and it's, it's relatively quick and you, you're, transaction either goes through or it doesn't go through. And so, you know, immediately what, what has happened with your money. Whereas, uh, you know, you, you will hear horror stories of people whose, you know, oh, um, yeah. money's getting trapped in the correspondent banking system where, you know, from bank A to B to C to D, there's some problem in those links. And it's like, how, how do you trace that down? It can take weeks or months. So that's, that's another thing. There's like more finality to it. Um, so I was going to say, I don't feel like cryptocurrencies, um, maybe at the beginning, a lot of people thought like, oh, I want to buy, you know, Bitcoin will have arrived when I can go to the corner shop and buy my coffee with it, right? My, my Starbucks. Yeah, the Starbucks. Get your Bitcoin, latte, right? right? So I, I get that. And I think that was a way of spreading adoption and just sort of like saying this is what people want to be using it for. But I think over time, people have kind of drawn away from that or come away from that and and not and but this other thing we're talking about where like cross-border payments or if you're sending remittances to your family um right you know you're working in one country and sending money back home to your your family you can get around all those western union fees or paypal fees or you know all this other stuff by using crypto and there are a lot of companies that are catering to that and um you know, use, you know, creating apps um, and and digital wallets that are, are for that express purpose. So, I think you know that's that, that's a really um, strong use case here, and and especially when you have countries that have hyperinflationary um, you know economies. And I'm not talking about the U.S. <laughs> um, <laughs> yet, but, you know, yet, <laughs> you can not yet. But you know, Venezuela. You know, there, there's a lot of different um, examples out there. Um, you know, sure. you. Crypto come becomes a way of saving your your money and not watching it get eaten away by inflation. You know, um, so I think for those of us in the Western world, you know, some of these things don't seem real, but to a lot of the other people in the world, um, they, these are very real and these are good solutions for the problems that they have. Oh, heck yeah, it doesn't get any more real than uh, the value of your money being eroded away to virtually uh, nothing. I mean, yeah. that's. That's pretty real, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. People, yeah, you can lose everything. You know, um, I've had interviews with folks who grew up in Turkey and, you know, like the lira would just crash, you know, overnight and their their family's wealth would almost, you know, be cut in half. And it's like, what, what yeah. do you do in that situation? You know, um, so it, it, like I like to say to a lot of people, like crypto gives you an alternative system. It's not trying to replace the current systems, but it gives you an alternative. So at least you have... So 
some other way of, of doing these things um, that, that that we haven't had before. It's not it's not you're not forced to do it. You know, it's totally up to you. But at least there is an alternative now for um, a lot yeah, of these which things. we've never had before. Correct. Yeah. So so that's that's extremely valuable from that standpoint, and uh, from that alone that kind of builds a use case because foreign exchange is the biggest market in the world, arguably, right? Don't just survive, thrive. The Financial Survival Network. Gold Terra Resource Corp is a gold exploration company that has assembled a highly prospective district scale land position on the doorstep of the city of Yellowknife in Canada's Northwest Territories. Gold Terra is currently focused on expanding and delineating gold resources at the company's Yellowknife City Gold Project with the goal of discovering over 5 million ounces. With ready access to infrastructure and multiple high-grade gold discoveries, Gold Terra is on track to re-establishing Yellowknife as one of the premier gold mining districts in Canada. Gold Terra trades as YGT in Toronto and YGTFF on the OTC. For more information, go to goldterracorp.com. That's goldterracorp.com. This is the Financial Survival Network, the information you need to thrive now more than ever. It is, I think, and that's a real cash market. That's not, you know, that's that's actual money flowing around. It's yeah. not it's not notional like a lot of other markets are. Um, you know, it's not mm-hmm. actual money. But yeah, no FX market is in the trillions of dollars, isn't it? Yeah, um, uh, trillions every day, right? Yeah, three three and a half is a trillion comes to mind. Yeah, I'm not sure huge, if that's huge, still accurate. Huge numbers, and to be able to circumvent that, I mean, many European banks, many international banks, Matt, their primary profits come from foreign, you know, FX foreign exchange yeah. because it's yeah. free money right yeah. it's free money for a bank there's virtually zero uh risk involved with it right and i mean, I mean they're the money changers in effect yeah. you know and they're you, you know you have to go to them so you know right. that's another point about the correspondent banking system that i wanted to make was it also is a huge money maker for the banks so you know they're not in any rush to let that be taken away from them um through you know digital assets or cryptocurrencies the cool thing about it in my opinion is it doesn't matter um crypto is already there and it's already an alternative so you don't necessarily need the banks mm-hmm. to sign on to this for it to work it's already working so and what the, what the banks are going to have to do here is either sort of adopt it in some way or offer it to their customers in some way or they're going to watch some of their market share erode over time and uh, that wouldn't be such a bad thing either, because, uh, you know, they've basically been getting a free ride for years and years, right? I mean, isn't that what it comes down to? Yeah, it's hard to go through the financial crisis, you know, and pay attention to that and see what came out the other side to to not feel that uh, they, they definitely have um, more support um, than almost any other industry that I can think of. I, I understand it on the one hand, it's, you know, the global financial system is incredibly important. And it's, you know, if it crashes, then we're all in deep shit. Um, it's kind of like the automotive industry in the United States. You know, you want to keep that manufacturing um, capability alive because you don't know when you're going to need to manufacture maybe warplanes or, you know, tanks. You know, you just never know what's going to happen. So, you know, we get a lot of protection to, you know, that sort of manufacturing base. Uh, here in the U.S., um, but on the other hand, 
you probably have heard this, you know, it's called the put, you know, the Federal Reserve has a put yeah. on on the banking system, which means it's always there to backstop it. And it's like, you know, you, you, you're not going to go too wrong if you're a bank or you're investing in banks, you know, they, they are, um, they've got that sort of special place where um, too big to fail is, you know, kind of a reality. Too big to fail and uh, too big not to bail, right? <laughs> or to have to bail, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you're yeah. going to bail these guys out. All right. Mm -hmm. They're going to screw up periodically. Uh, they have through history, you know, um, yeah. going back to JP Morgan. So the bailouts are inevitable. But the question is uh, really uh, why? Why do they get to get bailed out and you and I don't? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. Um, you know, it comes down to, <laughs> they don't want to answer, but you know what I'm no. saying here. Right. And, you know, you, you saw what happened with like, uh, Bear Stearns and right. Lehman brothers in the financial crisis, they were allowed to fail, but then that kind of set the entire system on edge and it was teetering on the, the brink of collapse. And that's when the Fed right. stepped in because after Lehman went down, it was going to be probably Goldman Sachs and, you know, a couple others were right there and next in line. And in that situation in 2008, there was mm -hmm. um, no transparency into what the banks actually had on their balance sheets. And the banks didn't even know it themselves because they had so many um, unregulated derivatives contracts and yeah. other things that were tying them all together in ways that no one could understand and no one could unravel in time to say, okay, here's your actual risk position and, and here's your actual risk position. So they had to just bail out the entire system. And yeah. I remember writing yeah. stories um, yeah. for Bloomberg about the TARP system where the government was taking, um, they were taking defaulted debt and giving almost 100%, um, 100 cents on the dollar for collateral. You know, they were just, they would take anything as collateral just to pump money into the system so that it didn't collapse. So true. So true. And... Yeah. So what do you make of the recent scandals, FTX, uh, all the other exchanges? You see layoffs now at Coinbase, Genesis, mm -hmm. uh, major contraction. Um, mm -hmm. Is that cause for concern or is it just the growing pain? Ooh, there's a lot to unpack. Um, so we started by talking about decentralized finance, right? And that's the sort of peer-to-peer -peer, um, system mm -hmm. um, structure that I was talking about. If you look at what the failures were in 2022, almost every one of them was a centralized entity. So you had FTX, which is a centralized exchange. Right. It was um, likely allegedly committing fraud and, and doing all sorts of crazy stuff with its balance sheet that was completely opaque and non-transparent. You had um, crypto lenders like BlockFi and Celsius and Voyager who promised you 12, 15, 18% on your deposits, you know, which was insane in a, you know, interest rate environment that was 2% to 3%, you know, tops uh, in the traditional financial world. They were doing some mumbo jumbo in the background that was also opaque. They were centralized. They all went down. You had um, a hedge fund called Three Arrows Capital that was um obviously hedge funds are you know they don't show their books to anybody but they were doing similar stuff um uh on their balance sheet where they were just they had borrowed pretty much uh billions of dollars and and had bet that borrowed money and when things went started to come down they started getting margin calls and they didn't have the cash so they failed um so you've seen 
and all all the while there, a lot of the DeFi protocols that have been released um, worked as they were intended to work, and and there was no issues there because they're managed by code. It's sort of like I was saying before: when you enter into a transaction, there you either it either works or it fails immediately, and you know what's right. going on. So um, anytime you get leverage into the system which a lot of times comes through centralized entities, you know, that's when you get into trouble. Um, and so I think that that's a big lesson that, that people are trying to take to heart is that um, there needs to be more decentralized um, infrastructure uh, to support the whole sort of broader um, digital asset economy. And I think people are working on that. Um, at the same time, you, you, we are in a cycle, you know, inflation, I think has hit uh, crypto um, in ways that not many people thought it would. I think a lot of people thought for a long time that crypto was sort of uncoupled from um, the, the, the broader uh, traditional financial world. And, and that's not no longer the case. Yes. I, I think a lot of um, one reason for that is I think because a lot of big institutions um, have come into crypto and are now, you know, have it on their balance sheet. So, when the stock market goes down or the bond market goes down and they need money, they're going to sell crypto as well as all the other assets they have. So it's now much more correlated um, with stocks and bonds. And then, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, there, there was a lot of, of wild money in here. You know, um, somebody described crypto to me as attracting people who have dollar signs in their eyes and no sense at all of risk management. So, you know, that's not a good combination. So true, yeah, you get, you know, you get yep. about 80% of people in crypto are, are fit that description. So they're just looking to get rich quick. They want a fast buck and they're going to dive into all this crazy stuff without doing any due diligence. And then they, you know, then they're sat there at the end of the day when they've lost everything saying, how, how could this happen? You know, you know exactly how it happened. Um, so I think... Absolutely. You know, that that's kind of my take on it right now, but um, I've been through a winter or two and um, on the other end of it, there's been some amazing products that have come out because the people who aren't, that, that haven't left are the people who want to build in this space and they want to create things and they want to make that alternative um, system more resilient and more of a reality for people. So those are the people that stick around and they're just quietly doing what they're doing right now, day to day. And then hopefully when things start turning around, we'll start seeing, you know, the fruits of their labors in like what we, how we've seen in the past with, with new protocols that have come out. You know, a perfect uh, example of that is uh, what happened after the dot-com crash mm -hmm. in 99, 2000. Uh, you know, all the uh, fast buck guys, all the people who weren't really offering any value disappeared from the scene. And then you were left with these guys, basically engineers, uh, messing around in cubicles in Silicon Valley and elsewhere who are creating uh, the internet of today. And I think uh, we can draw a parallel to what's happening with crypto now to what happened with the dot-coms then. In any event, hey, we really appreciate you coming on, Matt. Uh, just tell us best place to find your work and to connect with you on the web. Yeah, my pleasure, Kerry. Thanks for having me. Um, check out Decentral. Uh, that's my web, uh, that's our media company. It's Decentral.io, um, D-E-C-E-N-T-I-A-L.io. We're on Twitter at Decentral Media. Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Matt Lysing. Um, and we're also, we've got several podcasts out. Um, one's called Decent People. 
Another is called The Carson Daly Show. We've got Lights, Camera, Crypto. And our newest podcast is called Big Brother and the Hodling Company, uh, which is about <laughs> to take off on the Janis Joplin band. I got it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, you're old enough to get that one. Yeah, and it's about the intersection of music and Web3. So uh, you can find those all on Spotify or Apple or Amazon Music, wherever you get podcasts. Wherever fine podcasts are disseminated. There you right? go. Hey, yes. if you got a question for Matt, and I know you will because crypto emerging, so many of you keep sending me questions, comments on the YouTube channel. Uh, email is kl at kerrylutz.com. When you're at financialsurvivalnetwork.com, sign up for a free newsletter. By the way, uh, please uh, be liberal with your comments on the YouTube channel. We will answer them. Uh, do me a favor, though. Try to avoid spamming the comments in YouTube. It's one of the only places where spam seems to be a growth industry and welcomed. Matt, we will definitely talk to you again. Thanks so much and good luck. Thank you, Kerry. Thanks for listening to Carrie Lutz's Financial Survival Network, your solution to today's trying times. For the latest, go to FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. Financial Survival Network, now more than ever. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.